Stasis interrupted. Fire in cryogenic compartment. Repeat. Fire in cryogenic compartment. Hello there and welcome back to the Hyperbaric Highlights with myself, Red Roll, and with me as always is JT. Hello everyone. Um, no no introduction this time, Red Roll. I'm, I'm disappointed. Oh, sorry. Well, maybe I've got, got a few gangsters to like, bring in a bit later <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm just luring you into a full sense of security. I was gearing up for that one and it just never happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know uh, you're feeling a little bit under the weather, so I didn't want to get you all like, shaking and stirred. <laughs> yeah um just to let everyone know i, I had my jab yesterday so uh, fair play so i'm not feeling 100 percent, but you know onwards and upwards we're um, we're getting over this covid shit now there we go jt is mighty so we are continuing <laughs> our look at the alien franchise for those who tuned in for our first two episodes thank you very much and you hope you enjoyed us waffling on about them both today we are discussing a movie that Many like to slate, but I've always had a bit of a soft spot for it. And I'm actually, I don't hate it as much as most people seem to like to hate it, just for reasons. <laughs> I think it's just a common thing now, isn't it? People just hate this movie for the sake of it, but I actually quite like it. It's Alien 3. Yeah, I think you're right there. And um, it's not a terrible movie in any sense of the word. I mean, it's not as good as the first two. There's no beating about the bush there, but it's not a bad movie at all. It has its flaws, as we'll discuss as we go on. But yeah, there's definitely worse out there, um, one of which we'll talk about next week, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, for those who weren't uh, <laughs> guessing where this series is going, <laughs> we're warning you now, we are going to be discussing the blooper reel, as we like to call it, next week. <laughs> so, Alien 3 came out in 1992, and once again, for some reason, even though the Alien was a great movie, and it was really popular, it was a uh, financial success and a critical success, but it still took, what, I think it was like seven years, wasn't it, um, between Alien and Aliens in the end? It's about that? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, there's just, uh, every time there's a new Alien film, there just seems to be a massive mess in scripting it and getting it done, doesn't there? Just doesn't, no one seems to be able to agree on what to do with it. Well, that's it, because in this case, I believe Fox were quite eager, because although they had, like, their reservations about Aliens to begin with, once they had Cameron's script on board and they did all that, they were really happy. Again, it was a massive success. It's heralded as one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time, rightfully so. And again, with this one, I think Fox were quite eager to get this one going, but I think some of the other people that were involved were a bit hesitant, and I think one of them was Brandywine, could be wrong. But once again, there was loads of issues. There was fucking loads of script issues. There's so many versions of this movie that should have come out before the version we actually got came out. And it was absolutely panned on release because it was a bit of a mess. It kind of threw the director, yeah. David Fincher, under the bus with this one. But luckily, he managed to salvage his career and went on to make some really good movies. Yeah, because I think they, they started scripting it in 87, the year after Aliens released. So, you know, five years and lots of bin scripts and that. And Fincher, I don't think, was the original person, was he? He came in quite late because he was a bit, bit of a wild card, wasn't he? He wasn't really a known director or whatever at that point he didn't really it's, this was his first movie i think wasn't it i think you're right yeah because i, well, I sort of briefly looked through some of his work because people would be familiar with his more up-to-date stuff like seven fight club zodiac gone girl all those movies are fantastic but before that i think he'd mainly just done like docu-series and music videos and things like that so to bring him into at the time what was a big sci-fi franchise around the time that obviously back then movies didn't kind of become sagas as much like trilogies were the thing weren't they um it's only like yeah. in the like 90s and stuff and even now modern day with like you know the, all the comic book movies they're like big 
long sagas but back in the day you always had these trilogies like lethal weapon aliens as it turned out a few others it always tended to be like you know the first movie was good the second movie was better and the third movie was always a really wonky one and unfortunately this one <laughs> kind of stuck to that kind of curse really yeah, it did, but it was always going to be hard to follow the first two, wasn't it? I mean, Aliens, as we discussed last week, followed on the first one brilliantly, although completely different path. But it was never really going to live up to the first two, was it? No, it wasn't. I mean, it was a tall order for any director, because originally um, Ridley Scott was asked to do this, and he said yes originally, but the studio wouldn't give him the time he needed to put together a script and get a, a formulate a proper story for it. So he was out out the door again so that was obviously quite a big mistake and i still think fincher did a good job considering all the shit he had to put up with because when they started filming this movie the script wasn't even finished and he was filming the movie that didn't even have an ending to it and then there was like an issue with one of the writers they had to stop filming for three months then they came back and carried on so it must have just been an absolute fucking nightmare for him especially as his first movie and all the pressure on him yeah, and as we said, it didn't turn out that badly in the end. I mean, the assembly cut, which was released in 2003, is definitely the better version, isn't it? The theatrical cut, which I watched earlier, as we discussed before we started recording, it's not as good. There's a few plot holes and things that are fleshed out a bit more in the assembly cut, and it does make a bit more sense, as we'll talk about as we go on. Yeah, that's the point. I mean, for those who haven't seen the assembly cut, that is the one we're going to be kind of like, following as we sort of go through the review we call them reviews it's not really a review it's just us discussing movies that we like (laughs) (laughs) um or don't like as next week will be but um (laughs) i would recommend anyone if you haven't seen the assembly cut chances are you have if you're listening to this because it was available ever since the quadrilogy was that 2003 you said wasn't it jt that came out yeah 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 and ever since that that version has been available on all the blu-rays all the I don't even know everything he's in 4K yet. No, it's not. But all the releases since 2003, that version has been available, and I would recommend people watching it. Quite interestingly, yeah. and this will probably be the first of many times I say the word interestingly, um, <laughs> it seems to be um, an ongoing word of mine. This movie actually brought in a few things. Although Aliens is kind of the law side of things, everyone remembers that from Aliens, but this actually brought in quite an important aspect uh, to the creature design, and it was actually the morph part of the xenomorph. So, like the xenomorph, um, the wording actually derives from the Greek word xenos, meaning stranger or foreigner, and the morph meaning form. So that translates to alien-shaped thing. And this is the version, the first time we saw that the alien itself will take the the shape or like or take elements from whatever it comes out of. Because up until now, we've only ever seen them come out of humans. So this added that extra kind of like twist, and I quite like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, it comes out of two different things, depending on which, which version you watch, although it's the same Xeno that's born out of both, isn't it? Yeah, it seems to be. Um, yeah, the fact that it's very different the way that kind of it is born, and it's a lot bigger when it first comes out as well. But yeah, essentially, for the majority of the movie, you will see whatever version you watch, you'll see the the core alien will be the same one. He's massive, isn't he? When he, when he first comes out, we're not looking at that little like penis thing, we're looking at a pretty much half-formed half, half um, Xeno straight away, aren't we? Which is mad. And this is also the first film where we see the, the Xeno eating. It actually eats its prey, doesn't it, in this one? It does, yeah. And I was going to um, mention that um, to you and just think, because this is one where normally in like, the movie so far, like aliens, maybe not so much because it's kind of like we see them in swarms, so it's hard to kind of gauge that. 
But in the first one, the alien normally picks people off one by one, apart from Parker and Lambert, in which case it, it's after Lambert. And it probably would have ignored Parker if he didn't run in to try and save the day. But then it kills Parker and it goes straight back to Lambert. Whereas this alien, mm-hmm. even if there's like two or three people around, it will kill someone and then just focus on that person. It lets the others kind of run away, doesn't it? And I wonder if that's, again, a change of instinct because it came out of whichever animal it comes out of, depending on your version, or whether it's just a new take on what it does. Yeah, but there's a couple of things I thought about as well, because this one seems more intent on on just killing. It's not really interested in hosting, is it? Is that because it knows, spoiler alert, that Ripley's got one inside her, so it doesn't need to host another one? Well, that's just something I, I thought when I was watching it. That's one thing. Uh, there's two things um, I've got to say about that, just from some of the research I've done. One, there is a scene that was supposed to be shot, and I think parts of it were, but it never made it to either cut, which sounds like it would have been a great scene because it kind of brings things full circle, like back to the first movie. But also, one thing that pissed me off, because spoiler alert again, yeah, Ripley has a queen alien inside her. And, the, and she encounters the alien several times and it won't kill her. But why doesn't it take her and cocoon her? It obviously doesn't want to hurt her and it wants to keep her safe. So the other alien, the queen, can be born. So why doesn't it just take her and cocoon her instead of letting her wander off all the time? Because in other ones, obviously, yeah. in aliens, it drags all the colonists to the nest and it cocoons them. So they're kind of there, aren't they? They're ready to be born and they're already in the nest. So why didn't this alien do that with Ripley? Yeah, that's a really good point. But this this alien doesn't seem to behave the way that we've seen before. Like I say, it's not really interested in hosting or anything, is it? It's just it's just all out kills, and that's all it wants to do. It is very primal, and even there's a bit of dialogue. Ripley says she's not seen one exactly like this before. So yeah, again, that might just be again because it came out of a different animal. Maybe it's got another like a more powerful base instinct of kind of hunter killer type thing instead of obviously what we've seen thus far. Yeah, it's very um, feral, isn't it? It just wants to kill and doesn't really seem to want to do much else. So, yeah. But there's um, definitely some interesting takes on this one. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that whether you like the movie or not, they at least tried something different. I mean, it is very different in um, some regards, but at least they were trying to do something. Because that is one thing I think um, Brandywine were against. They didn't want to do a retread of the first two. They wanted to bring something new. So they did succeed in that regard. And just before we get started, a couple of things that like you might find interesting if you don't really know JT and also for our listeners. So one, of, like I say, there are many versions and scripts for this movie, but one of them was originally supposed to be a two-parter. And the first part was supposed to focus primarily on Bishop and Hicks, and then Ripley would return as the hero for the second part of part three. And that's why Sigourney Weaver originally signed on, because she was reluctant to come back to begin with, because she felt like obviously the Ripley character had done what she needed to do. So she signed on to come back in a limited capacity for that. And in the end, that all got scrapped and ended up being the movie we've got. But that's one of the ideas they had. And that particular script was written by William Gibson. And a couple of years ago, it was actually reimagined and done as an audio audio drama, the first part of it, at least, which had Lance Henriksen and Michael Bean reprising their roles. You can also get it in graphic novel form. It's actually a really good script in a kind of wish it happened but unfortunately it didn't but you can still read that part of the script or listen to it through either of those channels okay yeah i mean i've read somewhere that the original script ripley wasn't even involved in it so maybe that was what you're talking about there the first part where she wasn't in it because you can't really as we've said before you can't have an alien film without her in it can you exactly yeah and again the only part of that script that's been 
done is like say the audible drama and from the dark horse comics they've done it as a graphic novel which is really worth reading it's a great script but i think because the second part never got written because they again threw it out and things changed and other scripts came along that's the only half that was written but originally she was supposed to return in kind of part two of part three as the returning hero which uh it's a bit strange and yeah sorry karen no i was just saying yeah that, that is quite strange but yeah, a two-part film. I don't know, that might have been a bit too much. I mean, the, the assembly cut's two and a half hours long, which, as we know from previous episodes, is about, about well, as much as I can cope with. But <laughs> I actually didn't mind I didn't mind watching this. I watched it again yesterday, and uh, it didn't seem that long. Same as Aliens the week before. That's a very long film. But when you're enjoying it, you, you don't really notice the time go by, do you? No, the movie does move along quite nicely. And I think where there's quite a lot of fleshing out and backstory to all the characters, they are fleshed out pretty well. And their history and, as we're discussing, as we go through the place they're in, it is giving like, pretty good credit. There's some good backstory and lore involved here. Now, one thing that actually runs through this movie, just before we get going, there's quite a lot of emphasis on religion. And again, one of the original ideas for this movie, and a lot of this actually came into this movie, just not in the form it was going to originally, was they were going to land on a planet, a forest planet. So I assume it looked like bloody Endor or something like that. And they would have been... Endor or something. Yeah. Um, And they were going to be colonists or like a a group of people that were kind of not that advanced. They're kind of going to be around medieval sort of time. And it was going to be a very religious sect and they were going to use some kind of exorcism to remove the alien from Ripley, which just sounds fucking ridiculous to me. <laughs> but they did take that whole lack of technology and the whole religious thing into what we got eventually. So parts of that script did actually make it just not in the way it was going to be originally. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they went the way they, they did go because that does sound pretty dreadful. And again, as, as we've talked about before, and we'll go on, I'm sure throughout the podcast, it's another thing, isn't it? There's always something that, prevents you from killing the alien and this time it's the the lack of weapons they've got fuck all have they yeah no they've got no fucking um technology or anything they haven't even got like lights or like torches at work and they've got like a pair of fucking scissors and a few fire axes and that's all they got (laughs) so it's like once again it's like "Mm, how can we put these people on the back foot you know as if fighting an alien isn't bad enough we're just gonna make sure they've got no way of fucking doing it yeah, even the batteries, was it? it says like only two in a thousand work or something is one of the lines <laughs> in the film, I think. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, for sci-fi fans out there, part of one of the other scripts actually ended up being reworked and became the kind of crux for the movie Pitch Black, which starred Vin Diesel. I don't know what year that came out. I actually quite like that movie. It was back when Vin That's Diesel didn't film. take himself so seriously. But yeah, that was actually off the back of an old script for this movie. I love Pitch Black. It's a film that I keep meaning to rewatch. Brilliant film. I think I've only ever seen it once or twice, and that was when it first came out. My old man had um, the American import DVD of it, I think, before it even came out in the cinema over here. It's a great film. Yeah, yeah, it is really, really good. So let's take a look at the cast and characters that we got here. So a bit like Aliens, there is quite a lot of people in this movie, but it does condense fairly quickly down to a handful of ragtags. So we got <laughs> Sigourney Weaver reprising her role as Ripley. Now, we've got Michael Bean, who reprises his role as Hicks for about five seconds. <laughs> we'll get to that. And then we got Danielle Edmond, who plays Newt. And it, obviously, for those who don't know, which I imagine is no one listening to this, Newt dies right at the start of this movie, same as Hicks. Um, and the reason they wanted to kill off Newt is because it had been so long between Aliens and Alien 3 that 
Carrie Henn, who played Newt originally, it was too old to reprise the role of an 11-year-old girl. Um, so they wanted to kill her off so they didn't have to worry about recasting or anything, which I think was a bit shit because she was like Ripley finding a new family at the end of Aliens was quite integral, I thought. Yeah, there was another reason I read as well. The fact that this um, Fury 161 they land on is full of rapists, child molesters and stuff and everything. It, there has been an uneasy tone of a kid being in the film as well. Um, that whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that's another reason why they didn't want a, a kid in the film, which does make sense. No, yeah, that, that does make absolute sense. Um, and then we've got Brian Glover, who plays Superintendent Andrews. We've got Ralph Brown, who plays Mr. Aaron, or 85, as they call him. Then we've got okay. the legendary Charles Dance, who plays Mr. Clemens, or Dr. Clemens, if you prefer. Then we've got Charles S. Dutton, who plays Dylan. Danny Webb plays Morse. And then we've got Pete Postlethwaite, who actually plays a character called David Postlethwaite. So <laughs> maybe they just liked his last <laughs> name so much, they kept it with the character. And then we also he's been in loads of things, so isn't he? Pete Postlethwaite. He, I mean, most of these actors have, but Pete has popped up in loads of different things. Yeah, yeah, I think he's the late Pete Postlethwaite now, isn't he? Um, but yeah, yeah, he's been in, so. like, in loads of movies. And then finally, we've got Lance Henriksen reprising his role as Bishop. So not a bad cast, really. I mean, as JT says, if you don't recognise the names, you're bound to have seen these actors in several things along the line. Very strong British cast as well in this one, isn't it? It's quite it's quite funny watching it again over the last couple of days. The amount of times they say, like, wanker and things like that, like proper British swear words is quite funny. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's one of the reasons I always had a soft spot for this movie because it was so British. And again, with like, the British lingo, it just kind of resonated a little bit. But yeah, you're right. There, there is actually, like, shitloads of swearing in this film as well. I mean, the first two... There's not a huge amount, is there? But this one is full on. Like, there's a lot of uh, bad language in this film. Do you know, I was actually thinking, uh, the first time I saw this, it was on TV and I actually videotaped it. So that was the only version I got to watch for a while. And it's one of those movies where when you get the proper copy and you watch it, and I was like, fucking hell. I mean, I know TV's edit a lot out, but I was like, man, there is more swearing than one of our podcasts in this movie. Like, but <laughs> I was just yeah. like, bloody hell. And it's <laughs> kind of like when you watch like Robocop, you watch a TV edit and you think, yeah, that's a good action movie. Then you watch the proper version. You're like, fuck me, this is like brutal as anything. It's like so gory and you just don't realise it until you see the proper cut. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously I'd seen this film a few times. I hadn't seen it for a while. And then I, I just picked up on the amount of bad language in it. I was like, fucking hell. The first two, obviously, there's not even a huge amount of dialogue in them, is there? I mean, obviously there there is, but do you know what I mean? But in this, there's just shitloads of swearing. There is. And I'll tell you what, another thing compared to the first two, I mean, not that the other two were subtle, but this is probably the goriest of the three. Like, this movie is fucking brutal in places, the way some of these people die. It's so bloodthirsty. No wonder it contain, obviously maintains its 18 rating. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've actually got that in my notes, that the, yeah, the deaths in this are, are brutal. There's there's some elements of the first one where there's a few that you don't see. It's left to your imagination, but most of them are, are pretty bloody full on, aren't they? Yeah. So let's take a look at the actual movie itself then. So it opens up and we get like a bit of a mix. It's a bit of a slow crawl opening like we had with the original Alien. And again, they're using those kind of hues of greens and yellows. And it cuts between names of the actors coming up in between uh, shots of the Sulaco. And We see a face hugger is on the loose and he tries to go into Newt's cryo chamber. The glass cracks and acid drips down, causing the smoke system to go off. The cryo tubes are evacuated in the EEV. And we see on screen that a face hugger has attached itself to someone. 
the EEV plummets towards Fio, is it Fiorina? I can't even say the name of the planet, but it's short named as Fury 161. <laughs> I think it's Fiorina yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it is. And Fury 161 is better, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say that instead of sounding like a, you know, can't get me fucking teeth in straight. It's a double Y chromosome work correctional facility. Clemens is walking along the beach and spots something sticking out of the water. Then he notices a body washed up on the shore. It's Ripley. He rushes her back to the facility where a rescue party retrieves an EEV. We see shots of dead bodies as Superintendent Andrews types up a report stating that Hicks and Newt are dead and there's one female survivor. So what's, um, and obviously we've seen it before, but yeah, what's your take on the start of this one? Um, well, I've, obviously I've watched both versions over the last couple of days and in the theatrical version, it's a slightly different start because Ripley's not thrown out of the EEV. She's still in it when they find them. Um, when I watched it yesterday, I was just amazed. How the fuck did Ripley survive that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, um, Hicks was killed anyway because something like uh, some steel or something went into him, didn't it? And obviously, Newt drowned. But how did Ripley survive that? If she was thrown out of it as well, it just seems a bit much that she's managed to survive that huge impact. Wow, this is the woman who can hold on to a ladder with the suction of space, fucking pulling her out. I mean, she can survive anything. Yeah, I know what you mean, especially, like you say, the assembly cut. She gets thrown out. When Clemens finds her, she's covered in, like, fucking tar or oil or something, isn't he? She'd be fucking... Yeah, she is. Dead. Like, not, and obviously, she needs to be alive for the movie, but, yeah, it was a bit of a, a stretch on that one. And another thing that's always bugged me, and I know there's loads of theories out there. You may have a couple of yourself, but where did this bloody facehugger come from to start with? Yeah, I've got that in my notes. Um, there, there are lots of fan theories and stuff. Someone's people say the Queen left one on, on there when she was, you know, stowed away, which we talked about last week. Um, but yeah, where did it actually come from? There was an egg in that in that shuttle, but where the fuck did it come from? Who knows? We're not probably supposed to think about that. That's left to your imagination, isn't it? It is. But when you do think about it, it's like, well, besides we said it was a bit miraculous that the queen managed to hold on to the back of the drop ship and no one noticed but when the shout time yeah. to sort of like get out and cock a leg and drop an egg on someone and stuff like that, you know she jumps out of the back <laughs> of the fucking out of the bloody um drop ship she fights ripley who fucking blows her out into space she doesn't have time to fucking lay an egg particularly as her egg laying sack thing had been she detached herself from it anyway so where did it come from did she shit it out where did it, where did it actually come from exactly and especially considering it's in the cryo point because obviously we see as the cryo as the um the fires start and then the evacuation happens the cryopods get kind of shifted into the eev and then launched out of the ship so how did the egg just happen to be in there because we see a shot of it like on the bloody ceiling or something it's already open it just it's just never really made sense to me yeah yeah it's kind of it's hanging sort of from the the ceiling isn't it so it's almost upside down because eggs are normally on the floor pointing up this is pointing down but yeah i I think we're probably not supposed to think in or think about that too much because it doesn't really make sense and another thing um again it's that that retro futuristic i know this is 1992 but Another word about that bloody computer that Andrews is using. It's like a fucking, again, it's like a ZX Spectrum or something, isn't it? The massive, great, big, chunky green <laughs> writing, the big, fat, chunky keyboard. It's like, this is supposed to be the future, man. And you, you're like using like a proper CRT TV screen to type this high-tech message across space. Yeah, let's just say um, I'm glad how technology has actually uh, happened. <laughs> Not the way they thought it was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so we, um, we see a shot of a large assembly hall. 
Dylan is offering a prayer before Andrews delivers rumour control regarding the EEV and a surviving woman, which results in laughter from the assembled party. Morse mentions they have taken a vow of celibacy, which also includes women. Andrews addresses their concerns by saying the rescue team has been requested and should be here inside of a week. He quietly mentions to Clemens and Andrews that it's in everyone's best, uh, Aaron, sorry, that it's in everyone's best interest that she remains in the infirmary until the rescue team arrives. Ripley awakens to find Clemens preparing a syringe. He brings her up to speed and informs her that her comrades did not survive the crash. Ripley is shocked and insists on seeing the EEV. Clemens escorts her and briefs her on the facility. Ripley um, surveys the recovered EEV. Clemens reassures her that neither Hicks or Newt would have felt pain in their deaths but Ripley spots a familiar-looking burn on Newt's cryotube and insists on seeing her body. Clement escorts her to the morgue, where Ripley insists they have to do an autopsy to determine, determine the cause of death. Clemens insists the girl died by drowning, but Ripley says there may be a case of cholera. Clemens clearly senses the deception, but relents and performs an autopsy, which confirms drowning was the cause of death. Andrews and Aaron arrive. Clear tension is between Andrews and Clemens, and Andrews inquires about the quarantine. Ripley requests a request a cremation of her friends Andrews agrees and lets them off to use the furnace and Clemens pushes the potential of the cholera outbreak so Andrews agrees to let them do a cremation in the furnace and this is um kind of quite a, it's a good opening sequence because it kind of delivers like this facility just it looks horrible doesn't it like you wouldn't want to be there it's like the worst kind of like how I used to imagine hospitals being when I was a kid yeah and that's a good thing isn't it this is um a proper prison that you wouldn't want to be in, not like the prisons you see in real life where it looks like a fucking holiday camp. You know, this is fucking horrible. You definitely wouldn't want to be there. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Because when Ripley sort of wakes up, she says she's going to be sick for a couple of weeks and then within two minutes she's walking around fairly, like, coherent and just normal. I thought that's a bit strange. Yeah, it didn't you know, take she doesn't seem, doesn't seem to be... No, she doesn't seem to be particularly disorientated or anything. She's wandering about and she's she seems to know what's going on straight away. It's like, well, hold on. You know, you've just woken up from a, a massive crash and God knows how long hypersleep or whatever. But yeah, that was a bit weird. Yeah, because even like, her eyes were like proper bloodshot and everything, isn't it? She looks quite kind of like gnarled up. Yeah. Then also they point out the fact that it's an yeah. all-male prison and that she's got to shave her head because they've got a problem with lice. And I think a lot of this prison stuff, as the movie goes on, like their religion that we'll touch on and all that stuff, I think that's all fleshed out pretty well in this movie, particularly the assembly cut. It kind of gives the gives Fury 161 a lot of kind of character and life to it and why they're there yeah i agree yeah and um to, just talking about sigourney weaver when she shaved her head um she had to wear a wig when she wasn't on set because her two-year-old daughter didn't like seeing her mum bald so every time she was like offset she had to wear a wig so she looked like she had hair oh <laughs> that's quite sorry, a random, actually. random yeah. fact there yeah there is um i mean i haven't seen the theatrical one for a while but because a lot of that was reshoots she didn't want to shave her head when they came back for that. So there's parts of that where you can actually see she's wearing one of those like skull caps because she shaved her head properly for the like, original part of the movie. But then when they came back, she like refused to shave her head again because she was so pissed off with the production and didn't want to do it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I watched the theatrical cut earlier, but I must say I wasn't paying much attention to it. So I didn't notice that. But yeah, interesting. There's one thing before we discuss like the autopsy scenes, that's quite gnarly in its own right, the way some of the sound effects they use. But... I know they're prisoners, yeah. and um, even Andrews mentions that they're on the honour roll. They don't have any, they don't really get any, like, good supplies or anything like that. But their fucking, their outfits are ridiculous. They're just, like, these raggedy, like, 
monk outfits, but for some reason they got these massive like <laughs> cod pieces, like they got a noose around their balls or something. Like when they're all fucking stood there, it looks like Watto from Star Wars is between their legs or something. It's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Is that obviously the vow of celibacy? Have they had like, you know, have they got a chastity belt or something on? But yeah, I noticed that. It does look really weird, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just such dodgy outfits. Um, so when they're in the um like the autopsy chamber and Again, you get that brief shot of that Danielle girl who plays Newt in this one. That scene where Clemens asked Ripley, was she your daughter? I thought was obviously the look on Ripley's face. Again, great acting from Sigourney Weaver was just kind of heartbreaking, wasn't it? It's like she's looking at this. She lost her daughter. She found Newt who kind of became her kind of new daughter in a way. And now she's lost her again. And throughout this movie, you just kind of see the fight going out of Ripley, don't you? Like she's just given up at this point. Yeah, you do. And um, that that is just, I mean, I didn't like the fact Newt died anyway, but as we discussed a minute ago, probably best she wasn't in the film. But having a daughter myself, yeah, it is quite heartbreaking that. Um, and the, the autopsy scene, although you don't see a lot, like you say, the sound effects, fucking horrible. And apparently they did film a lot more, but it was never released because even the crew, they were, they were almost sick with the the scenes they filmed. So they did cut them from the final version, both versions they were cut from which is probably best because you see enough don't you really yeah you do and i think scenes like this i mean they're quite powerful as they are but i think they're more powerful when they're suggestive um but when he picks up that kind of big saw thing and the way it cuts through like obviously like a chest and everything it's just that ripping sound that you hear and splash of blood yeah um i think yeah fox weren't happy with that and they actually restored because fincher wanted nothing to do with it so when all the directors came back to do their director's cut over the years, Fincher refused to do that. So the assembly version is actually put together from Fox people. It's not actually got him involved at all. So that's probably one of the reasons those scenes never made it back in. Yeah, he doesn't like the assembly cut, does he? Like you say, he didn't really want anything to do with it. He kind of sort of distanced himself from this whole thing, doesn't he? Yeah, he's pretty much disowned this whole whole movie. And I think that's mainly from the experience he had with the executives, which is a bit of a shame because, as I say, I actually do quite like this movie. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's gone on to bigger and better things, I guess, from his opinion, anyway. But I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't want to write it off my CV if I made it. It's not not the worst film by any means. No, it's not. Um, and this bit coming up now, so this is a big change for those who haven't seen the assembly cut. So, in the kitchen area, we see two prisoners bringing in a dead ox. They are discussing Ripley crudely, and then mention that the ox killed over unexpectedly, um, but they're just going to chop her up and put her in the stew. One of them finds a dead face hugger and discards it. We see everyone gathered in a furnace for Newton Hicks's funeral. Mr. Andrews offers up a prayer, followed by Dylan, who offers words relating to death and resurrection and the pain of grief for those left behind. As he's speaking, we see shots of the ox in the kitchen beginning to move. Eventually, the stomach bursts open and the alien emerges. This alien is almost fully formed, though smaller than a standard drone, and it runs off down the halls. Now, this is, again, completely different because in the theatrical cut, it's actually a Rottweiler who gets the face hugger on him and obviously the alien comes out of him instead during this scene. Yeah, I think it's better with the ox. There's a few things that I did pick up on during this. Um, so the ox is dead, but it's still hosting the alien. Now, I thought you had to be alive to host an alien. Am I being a bit naive here? Well, yeah, uh, that's one issue. And the other issue is is there's one face hugger. And there's two aliens. There's the one that's inside Ripley, which technically, from a story point of view, we don't find out until much later. And then there's the one that's in the ox. 
So normally like facehuggers, yeah. they get on someone, they lay the egg, they die. It's a whole kind of like parasitic life cycle, isn't it? Like one dies, so the other one can obviously move on. So where did this fucking facehugger man is obviously get and rip these face, then still have the strength to go and lay another one inside an ox or a dog, whichever one you prefer to watch. Yeah, it just doesn't. And the ox being dead doesn't make sense to yeah. me either because in the theatrical, we actually see the guy who owns the dog, he looks at him and you can see the marks on his face where the face hugger's been and he's concerned and then the dog's alive and then obviously he has a seizure and dies before the alien comes out. Yeah, exactly. That's something I just thought, you know, you need to be alive, surely, to host the alien. Um, it's a weird thing as well. When they're um, hanging the ox up and they're in that sort of abattoir sort of space, it looks like there's a skinned cat hanging from the roof. I don't know if you noticed <laughs> I it. I didn't know. Glad I like cats. There's, there's, skin there's like a... Yeah, that's what I thought. There's a few things hanging from the, the ceiling of this like room they're in. And one of the things hanging there it literally looks like a skinned cat. I don't know if it is or not. I was like, that's a bit fucking wrong if it is. <laughs> I was a bit I was just a bit a bit upset by that. And also when he when he finds a face hugger, he just picks it up and goes, hmm, he just drops it. He's not really bothered by it, is he? I'll be like, What the hell is this? He just picks it up, looks at it, and just puts it back on the floor. Well, yeah, it's not like he's just found a fucking spider crawling up his leg, is it? There's big fucking talent yeah. thing of a massive tail i've got like, jesus <laughs> christ another thing as well is um obviously the ox bursts open and the alien comes out and obviously it's a well i don't know how many days it is but obviously it's a bit of time before they first encounter the alien did none of did no one come back to the kitchen and notice like oh why is there a massive hole in this fucking ox now like no one seems to like pick up on that <laughs> that they just come back and be like oh seems to have shit itself oh well we'll still just stick it in the stew and that'll do i would have been like what the fuck's happened here yeah, you're right. Um, although I will say, when the alien does come out, it, it looks quite good. Obviously, we'll get on to the CGI parts later on. But I think some some of the alien shots look really good and some of them look bloody awful. And this is one of the better ones, I thought. Yeah, I've got that here as well, because this is one of those movies around this sort of time. CGI was kind of coming up and the, the practical effects in this movie are spot on. I think they're really, really good. Unfortunately, when they goes from practical, then cuts to CG. The CG, this looks like it's been fucking copy and pasted. It's like an early, like, PS2 cutscene type shiny CGI, isn't it? Versus the actual rendered, real-looking kind of, like, practical effects. Yeah, the, the CGI looks terrible. I think this was one of, if not the first film that really used CGI and that it doesn't stand up at all, does it, these days? No, and the version we're watching um, has actually been re- done because the quadrilogy came out and that was dvd that's when the assembly cut first came along and that had issues with sound and color variation the blu-ray version actually has like they've reworked the colors and the sound so you don't get that weird static sound with the restored scenes or anything like that and even still even with all that kind of digital mastery it still looks fucking shit when the cgi is on yeah let's hope when they do finally do a 4k version they're, they're gonna have to do something with the cgi because that is just gonna look even worse isn't it on in 4k yeah it's gonna look fucking um, rubbish gonna yeah, look terrible absolutely just one thing before we move on we're talking about the cremation of um hicks and newt just one, uh, one thing i thought about why are all the prisoners there at this cremation do, you know do they need to be there they didn't know these people why have they brought them all into this room to see this cremation Surely it would just would have just been Ripley, really, who would have been there in Clemens, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I suppose it might just be the thing, because they're quite a religious group, aren't they? They're all quite kind of harmonised in that. Maybe they just did it out of respect because they are religious. And I've got to say, I do actually quite like the way this scene is shot, because Dylan's given his speech about resurrection and all that stuff, and the way it kind of cuts to, like, 
Newton Hicks have obviously died and they're falling into the fire. And he's talking about like rebirth. And then like you see the alien being born. I kind of like that symbolism. Even I'm not a religious person at all. I do quite like the way that was kind of shot. Yeah, I picked up on that as well. It, it's actually quite cleverly done, isn't it? Like, and <laughs> I do like the way um, Andrew's like, ashes to ashes, dust to yeah. dust. The way he says it, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really well done. The way, like you say, um, he's talking about death and then rebirth, and then the alien comes out. It's um, it's quite a clever little segue. So we now see Ripley with a shaved head before. Uh, Dylan is talking to the prisoners, Boggs and Reigns, about some disharmony they have with a fellow inmate called Golic. The two are not keen on working with him as he is crazy and smells bad. Dylan bollocks them and tells them that they have no choice. Ripley enters and approaches Dylan to say thank you for the words at his funeral. He says she doesn't want to know him as he is a murderer and rapist of women. Ripley responds that she must make him nervous and sits down at the table with the inmates. Dylan mentions that they have a good place here and up until now there's no temptations. We then cut to Ripley speaking with Clemens who fills her in on the religion the convicts follow. They requested to stay with the facility was going to be shut down and were allowed to stay as custodials under supervision. Ripley asks him, um, cuts him off by asking if he is attracted to her as she's been out here a long time. Now, this scene, I'm not sure how I feel about the whole kind of Ripley and Clemens thing, but the bit in the mess hall I really like because the way Dylan or Charles S. Dutton delivers that dialogue to Ripley and where at the end he's like, up until now, no temptation. He just delivers it really well and there's like that kind of foreboding. You don't know how if you can trust him or not at this stage. Yeah, he's really good in this film, isn't he? Um, he's got that kind of sinister sort of edge to him, but deep down he is a good guy, isn't he? And he obviously he comes good at the end, spoiler alert again. Um, but yeah, the whole Ripley Clemens thing's a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, I guess it's the first film, you know, it's the third film in the, the series so far, and it's the first one where something actually does happen with Ripley. It's sort of been hinted before, hasn't it? But it does actually happen in this one, doesn't it? It does, yeah, and it, it kind of happens quite quick. I mean, you don't see a sex scene, which I'm obviously quite glad of, not because I'm a prude or anything. I just don't think it... I don't think they're necessary in movies like this, but you can kind yeah. of understand her at this point. Again, where she's at the stage where she's just kind of like, you know what, I don't have fucking anything at the moment. You know, at least I can do is get laid one more time. So you can <laughs> see it from that point of view. Yeah, apparently they did film a sex scene between her and Charles Dance. It was never actually, obviously, um, shown, but there was one filmed. But I'm glad they didn't use it. Like I say, not being a prude, but it, it's unnecessary, isn't it? It is. So we see prisoner Murphy is cleaning a, cleaning a vent shaft and there's a massive fan ominously spinning in the background. He notices some slimy skin and investigates it before throwing it down. He then spots moving in a pipe nearby. He looks inside and spots something moving in the shadows. The creature strikes him and he falls back screaming and begins to roll down the pipe and into the fan. We then cut to Ripley, who awakens next to Clemens and spots a barcode on the back of his neck. Clemens receives a call from Aaron, who, who asks him to meet him in Ventshaft 17 as there has been an accident. Ripley asks about the barcode and Clemens says it does deserve an explanation, but he has official duties. Andrews, Clemens and Aaron are investigating the accident site and speculating that Murphy must have been pulled into the fan. Clemens spots a burn mark near the pipes and ponders to himself that the fan was blowing. Andrew's asked to see him in his quarters in 30 minutes. Clemens finds Ripley rummaging through the EEV looking for a flight recorder. The 
facility does not have technology to access it, so she asked where Bishop is. Clemens informs her that he is in the, on the scrap pile and points her in the right direction. Then we briefly see Golic, Boggs and Reigns prepping to enter some dark tunnels for some kind of job, before seeing Clemens speaking to Andrews, who points out he doesn't like him, but he has received a high-priority message from the network, the firstest facility he has ever received, stating the woman needs to be looked after and her well-being is of top priority. Clemens states that all he knows is that she was part of a military group that came to grief on a mission. Now, this sequence, I don't know how you viewed it, JT, but it's kind of like a load of quick-fire scenes, and Clemens is all over the place. Like, he's just shag Ripley, then he's looking at dead bodies, <laughs> then he's fucking getting bollocked by Andrews, and he's just kind of all over the place at this point. Yeah, he's a bit, isn't he? Yeah, bless him. Um, the whole um, the scene where he gets um, he sees the alien and goes into the fan is pretty brutal, isn't it? He gets absolutely fucking diced, um, and it it makes a bit more sense when you watch the theatrical cut because he thinks it's a dog. He's he's asking, I think he's called Spike, and he's looking down into the the pipe or whatever he's looking in. He's like, "Is that you, Spike?" And obviously, with the the cut we've watched, the assembly cut, that doesn't make as much sense because you haven't seen the dog, so. But yeah, I th- again, I thought the alien, when it's down there, and it, it looks fucking horrible. Again, it looks really good. Yeah, it does look really good. And like, even back like when I was a kid, looking at that, like you see that massive fan, you're like, well, he's obviously going into that, isn't he? He's not fucking getting out of here unscathed. He's singing that yeah. stupid song, like, in the year 75, <laughs> going fucking mental. But one thing I really liked about this shot of the alien, is, as we say, when it's born, it's kind of not fully grown, but it's like it looks like a, creature doesn't it just a small version of an alien it's not like the little chest burster mm. but on this one it looks like it's shedding its skin it's got this weird kind of like web thing over the dome of its head and it looks like it's kind of nesting and just growing bigger because it is fucking again it's quite big by the time the movie draws to the end yeah i like that actually um i like the design the design of it like you say at the top of its head it looks like the skin is all shed and it's all sort of on top it just looks a bit gnarly doesn't it um, I think, you know, he's singing that song. I think originally he was singing Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones in the original version in the script, but they cut that out. And then he's singing that stupid song, whatever he's singing. Yeah, that's cool. That <laughs> song would have actually gone pretty well, but I'd imagine they'd have had to pay royalties for the Rolling Stones, wouldn't they? Yeah, Jagger probably would have asked for a fortune for that. So <laughs> they probably didn't want to pay. <laughs> I tell you, speaking of Jagger, I remember when I first played Alien Isolation, the way it moves around, I thought they might have motion captured Jagger because I swear it has a fucking <laughs> strut to it, the way it prances around. Jagger, uh, at least. <laughs> uh, I'm, I still can't play that game. I, I will get around to it. I've got it again now. So <laughs> watch this space on that. There's also a few, like, it's kind of setting up the situation there in a bit more here, isn't it? Because I, when she's, she pulls a flight recorder from the EEV and then asks, obviously, if there's anything that can access it. And Clemens is just like, no, there's fucking nothing here. Again, pointing out that there's literally fuck all on this facility, isn't it? And then even again, when um, Andrews is talking about the transmission he's received from the network, he's saying, like, we don't receive transmissions out here. Now suddenly we've got one. It just shows that they are really isolated. Yeah. Another thing I picked up on, though, obviously... They've told Ripley to not be sort of around the prisoners. She's just wandering about like nothing's happening. She just wanders around, you know, just, yeah, whatever. She's going to go and do this, do that. just seems a bit strange that she's just wandering around and no one... Obviously, there is a scene where um, the the prisoners do try and, uh, you know, do something to her where old Dylan steps in. But it just seems a bit strange that she's wandering about sort of, you know, don't know. 
Yeah, because even at the start, like when in the assembly hall, like um, Andrew says, like it's in everyone's best interest that she doesn't leave the infirmary, at least not about an escort. And like you say, she just gets fucking left to wander around within five minutes. And like I say, it's yeah. prisons full of fucking rapists and all kinds of people. The only kind of good guys, if you can call them that, that are non-prisoners is Andrews and Aaron. And I don't mind Andrews, but Aaron's a fucking idiot. I mean, he's like the gorman of this fucking movie, isn't he? He, he definitely is the Gorman, and I thought that straight away. He he is totally Gorman, but th- there's always got to be Gorman in these films, hasn't there? Yeah, there's always got to be someone who's got to be a bit of a fucking bellend. Yeah. So Ripley enters a junkyard and manages to locate the remains of Bishop, who was even worse, who was in even worse shape than the last time we saw him. While exiting, Ripley is attacked by a group of inmates who attempt to rape her. Fortunately, Dylan arrives and saves the day by beating down the group with a pipe. Back in the tunnels, we see Gollick, Boggs and Reigns lighting candles and waving sparklers around. The candles are at the end of the hall, starting to be blown out. So Reigns heads down to investigate, fearing they will lose where they are if all the candles get blown out. Heading to investigate, believing it to be another inmate pranking them, he is attacked by the alien. Boggs and Gollick hear his screams and come to help, but upon seeing the alien, they flee. Lost in the tunnels, they come full circle and find Reigns' body. Boggs is attacked by the alien and Gollick flees. Ripley has taken Bishop to the infirmary and manages to reactivate him. She inquires to the data on the flight recorder and Bishop confirms her fears that Alien was on board the Sulaco and came with them on the EEV. After Aaron, Andrew and Dylan find the unsubdued Golic, who is covered in blood, they bring him to the infirmary. While questioning him as to the whereabouts of Boggs and Reigns, Golic is raving about a dragon. Andrew suspects that Golic is loony and has in fact murdered his comrades. Ripley asks to speak to Golic about the dragon, but Andrews rejects the request. Instead, Ripley says she needs to talk to Andrews. This is where the movie kind of kicks off, isn't it? Like Ripley now knows that the alien's actually here, and now as the audience, we've actually seen it like kill two people. Yeah, um, there's a couple of bits here. You know, when Dylan batters the guys that are trying to rape Ripley, does he kill one of them? Because he's got that. He's got that pipe wherever he's got, and it looks like there's someone's skull or something attached to it when he brings it back up. There's something attached to the end of it, isn't there? I'm glad you noticed that, because he fucking leathers that guy. Don't he? He's, like, swinging it. You don't see the bloke, but yeah. he's, like, bringing it down, like, four or five times. Like I say, when he turns around, there's, like, bone or, like, flesh or something on the end of it. Like, he mm. must, I mean, Dylan's a big bloke. He must have fucking killed him. I mean, he's That's fucking bad enough that he swings at the other guy, and then Ripley obviously punches him as well. But, yeah, yeah he must have killed him. Yeah, because he's, oh, I've got to educate the brothers. But I'm thinking, we, I think you pretty much just killed one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Not much education left, is there? So, I'm not no, sure not at all. That scene needed to happen, like the whole rape bit. I kind of understand it from the point of view, like they're really just showing how up against it Ripley is. Like, not only is she up against another alien now, but she's up against these fucking weirdos. She's got no safety. But I just don't, I mean, those sort of scenes don't really sit well with me anyway. But I just don't know if it was necessary. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm the same. And when I watched the theatrical cut earlier, I thought maybe that scene wasn't in it, but it was. I, I was thinking maybe it wasn't, you know, in the original version, but it's in both versions. But yeah, it's it's unnecessary. I guess for the point, like you say, to show Ripley totally up against it, she's got an alien on her case, and all these guys are complete arseholes as well. So in that respect, maybe. But yeah, I don't really think it needed to be in it. And also, um, I think, I don't know if you'll agree with this, when she asked Bishop, was there an alien on board? And Bishop says, yes. I think that's the first time that Zeno's ever been referred to as an alien. I don't know if that's right. That's something I picked up on when I watched it. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I remember as a kid watching this and that scene where she's like, was there an alien on board? And she actually really emphasizes the word. Mm. And it's like, yeah. yeah, I think that is the first kind. And normally they're always just referred to as the creature. Because the term xenomorph, as famous as it is now, didn't get introduced until the second movie. Like, even in the first one, I think they only just referred to it as the creature, didn't they? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure this is the only time it's ever referred to as an alien. It's something I picked up on when I watched it yesterday. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a great show. And... I don't know for the life of me what they're supposed to be doing, but what are Golic Bogs and Reigns in those tunnels? Are they? They've got these, they literally have got sparklers, haven't they? They're waving sparklers around like there's a fucking bonfire night and they're lighting candles. Like, what the fuck are they supposed to be doing down there? It seems pointless. Yeah, I have no idea. Obviously, set up for a, a death scene. I don't know. I don't know what they're <laughs> doing down there. <laughs> just very, like, like you say, it's like, oh, let's just stick them somewhere. Like, no one would want to go like these fucking pitch black fucking tunnels just so they can get yeah. munched. But again, this is like, <laughs> this is that scene where it's really gory because when they find, um, I think it's Boggs' body, like, he's fucking bleeding. And then, no, it's Ranger's body. And then when Boggs gets pulled up into the rafters and he like flicks back and all the blood goes on Golic, like it's proper gnarly. And then we see the alien and he's got fucking blood all over his face. But again, doesn't chase Golic, does it? He? he just kind of carries on eating and ignores him. Yeah. And again, the alien looks really good at this point. Um, but yeah, that is a gnarly scene. Um, when he gets splattered with the blood and that, it's, it's pretty full on. And he, he pretty much has that blood on his face for the rest of the time he's alive, doesn't he? He does, yeah. They just kind of stick him in a straitjacket <laughs> where he's like eating the cereal in the um, canteen. And first of all, that matey boy walks in and spots him and then sees the blood and runs away. And then like Dylan, Aaron and Andrews, I think Clemens as well, they're like behind him with a straitjacket and they all just fucking pile on him. Yeah. Yeah, he never, he never gets that washed off, does he? Bless him. He's got that on him for the rest of the film. We also get another, um, although it's better in this one, we get that kind of cut between dummy. Actually, no, I think it's all um, animatronic. There's a whole scene with Bishop must all be animatronics because half his face is missing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I did read doing a bit of research that it was so messed up they couldn't use um, Lance Henriksen. So it is all, yeah, none of it's him. So yeah, it's, it's very well done. Yeah, it's obviously his voice, um, but yeah, that is, yeah. again, like, the, the practical effects in this movie, they're not to be sniffed at, they really are, like, pretty top-notch. I'd say they're one of the big standout parts of this film. Yeah, it's just a shame that the CGI fell apart, because it could have looked incredible, and let's hope they do brush it up for the 4K version, because, as we said, they're going to have to. <laughs> just another bit before we move on, because you know when um, they bring Golic into the infirmary, and, like... Andrews is like, we've got to accept that this simple bastard might have murdered them. And he's like saying, you know, I don't want him causing a panic. And then fucking, what was it, Dylan turns around and goes, he's never lied to me. He's crazy. He's a fool, but he's not a liar. And it's like, right, so you've got a guy who's crazy. He's foolish. Yeah. Probably <laughs> he's in prison for one fucking reason, murder, rape or whatever. But he's not going to lie to you. It's like, dude, you're not really like, <laughs> that wouldn't hold up in court, would it? As a fucking thing. No, not at all. Yeah, he's a complete fucking lunatic, but he doesn't lie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That uh, no, doesn't wash. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to Ripley, who's now in Andrew's office, and has brought him up to speed on her past and the alien. He doesn't believe her and informs her that there is no weapons on Fury 161, apart from a few carving knives and some fire axes, and there is no way to escape. He then confines her to the infirmary. Ripley is asking Clemens if there is any way to get, to the, get off the planet. He says um, only supply ships come, but someone is coming to get her. Ripley states she is um, not feeling great and Clemens preps a syringe while informing her of his history as a prisoner. 
Reflections can be seen in some of the medical apparatus as the alien drops down from a vent and kills Clemens. Ripley falls to the ground and the alien approaches. It hisses at her but does not attack. Instead, it drags Clemens' body into the vents and Ripley runs for the mess hall. Golic stares at the vents and says, Magnificent. In the mess hall, Dylan is offering a prayer and bollockings before Andrews delivers room of control. Ripley runs in saying that um, it's here and it got Clemens. Andrews orders Aaron to take Ripley back to the infirmary before being grabbed and pulled into the vent by an alien. The stunned prisoners stare at the vent and blood drips down. And again, this again, this movie kind of it does what Aliens does. It's just now like a, a series of sequences that are all pretty intense and people just start dropping like flies. Yeah, um, I was quite sad to see Clemens die, actually. Um, but again, it's one of these things where they build up a character and then kill them off fairly quickly. They, they did it with a pone and and things like that, you know, people that just don't tend to survive that long in these films, do they? But I was a bit bit sad that he died. Yeah, because I like Clemens as a character, and Charles Dance is amazing. This might actually be the only film where Charles Dance isn't a villain. Well, he is technically a villain because he's a prisoner, as he informs Ripley he used to be a prisoner because he was a medical student who got drunk and then gave people the wrong doses of painkiller and killed loads of them, which is what he got put in jail for. Um but he's not technically like a bad guy in this, is he? He's still one of the good guys, but it's like the only time I haven't seen him as a proper villain. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I think he's good. And also, um, Brian Glover, as um, Andrews, is also really good, the late Brian Glover. Um, and again, he doesn't last that long, does he? And that, that bit where um, Ripley runs into the room, she's like, it's here. I um, I use that quite often as part of my one of my sayings when my daughter gets dropped off sometimes i look at it and go it's here it's like the aliens <laughs> fucking arrived <laughs> oh, I, I love her really but you know <laughs> that that saying's always stuck in my head it's like you know <laughs> just when she runs in and, and proclaims the aliens there god <laughs> speaking of um andrews i love how kind of like blase he is when he's like relaying the information that ripley's given him and he's got that kind of northern tinge and he's like let me see if i got this right lieutenant and we have acid for blood and it arrived on your <laughs> spaceship it kills on sight and it's uh, generally unpleasant so fuck off <laughs> it's brilliant isn't it? he, he's trying to sort of tone down the northern accent but it's still creeping through isn't it because his accent was quite strong and I think he's yeah, like say trying to tone it down a bit but it's still there it's brilliant he's, he's excellent I love him yeah, I actually really like his character. So I can Aaron, I can't stand it. He's, because when he turns to Aaron, he's like, quiet story, Mr. Aaron. And then fucking Aaron's like sweating like a little bitch, isn't he already? He's like shitting his pants just hearing the story. But he's like, tries to sound like a tough guy. He's like, well, I've never heard anything quite like it. And it's like, fuck off, Aaron, yeah. you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like as well when um when Andrews does get pulled up into the, the roof and that, and they just go, fuck. <laughs> it's Morse, then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, then they're, they're just mopping up the blood underneath. Fuck that! I wouldn't want to be underneath that. Just mopping up the blood. I'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I've got that on my notes. I've literally got written, "Dude mopping up Andrew's blood." Fuck that! I would not. <laughs> yeah, just seeing him fucking pulled up, and, and again, like the whole bit in the infirmary, the way it builds up the tension. You see the reflection, and then the alien silhouette dropping down slowly and then the practical effects it all looks really good and then you just get that really shit shot of the cgi alien as ripley kind of backs up against the wall but then the face yeah. that comes close to her that really famous shot of the alien kind of opening his mouth and ripley like right next to ripley that looks fucking awesome i think just that looks a badass but then that cgi bit just ruins it completely 
Yeah, I've actually got that here. It, it looks amazing when you first see it. Then you see it sort of walk along and look shit. And then again, close up against Ripley looks really good again. But like you say, it's just that one shot of the CGI ruins the whole scene. And we also get that sort of hint that like Garlic really is a loony because he's just like, magnificent. That's all his fucking blood's pouring down. <laughs> it's like, fuck, you know, I mean, what happens with that guy later is like Morse is a fucking bellend for letting him loose, isn't he? <laughs> it's just like this guy needs to be fucking locked up. Well, he is locked up technically. Yeah, and um, obviously watching the theatrical cut earlier, that whole scene, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, in a minute, is not in the theatrical cut. And I don't know why they cut it out, because it makes so much sense for it to be in there. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get on to that. Yeah, so everyone is gathered in the assembly hall trying to take stock and pushing for Dylan to be in charge and asking Ripley for information. She tells him that this one seems different, but others were afraid of fire. After deducing that the facility has next to no technology, they come up with a plan to trap the alien in a nuclear bunker as it is completely sealable. They begin mopping flammable liquid over the tunnels that aim to flush the alien in the right direction. Unfortunately, the alien arrives and kills a prisoner who drops a flare and sets off the explosion too early. Many prisoners die, but in the chaos, the alien emerges and a brave prisoner lures it into the bunker, sacrificing himself. Ripley and the survivors seal the door and manage to put out the fires. As Dylan and the prisoners rejoice in the, of the survival, Aaron and Ripley are stood in the rafters talking. Aaron mentions that the rescue team should be here in a couple of days. They will help kill the alien. Ripley doesn't look so sure. And this whole sequence, I think, is really well shot. Like the explosions and the way it kind of builds up. It's a really quite a fucking epic full-on scene. But like I say, the, the whole thing of trapping the alien doesn't happen in the theatrical. It just gets away. Yeah, um... The, the the whole thing where he drops the, the flare as well and the explosions in the assembly cut seem to go on forever. Where watching the theatrical cut earlier, they weren't as long. I think some of the scenes were cut. I think some of the scenes in the assembly cut are duplicated. Some of the explosions might have been duplicated a bit. It does seem to go on quite long. Um, <laughs> there's one bit that did make me laugh, though. It goes in slow motion when he drops the, the flare down and it, it looks really good. And then one of the prisoners just goes, <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to say. He just says, and then it all blows up. I remember that. But yeah, as he zooms on, he's like mopping. He's like, yeah. Bruh. <laughs> it's like, I'm not quite sure what you're trying to say there, mate. It just did make me chuckle and detract from the whole scene a little bit. But yeah, but. It's a pretty epic scene. It, it does go on for fucking ages in the assembly cut. Well, although the alien is obviously responsible for this um, explosion, as it were, because the guy's climbing up the ladder. He's got like the flare in his mouth and the alien kind of emerges above him quite ominously and grabs him. So the guy drops the flare and it sets it all off. But loads of fucking people die here, don't they? It's like, how can we get rid of all these cast yeah. members that we don't need? I was just going to set fire to them all. But fair play to that big yeah. guy who fucking runs away from the alien or like lures it and gets it to chase him. It's like... Bit of a fucking tough guy there, isn't he, sacrificing himself? Yeah, definitely. This is almost like the original Hive scene in Aliens, isn't it? Where they just kill off a few cast members sort of in the background. Some of them, they just get blown up. Yeah, it's like we need to condense this movie down now to our kind of handful of survivors for like the grand finale, as it were. So it's just like, yeah, let's just blow them all up. But Yeah, we'll kill a few off quite quickly. Yeah. Um, the other thing about this bit, because when they're like mopping and there's people like, pissing around like the batteries and they're trying to get it all up 
don't you think that's a little bit of like an A team montage the way it's like cutting between them all and they're all like doing their stuff and painting the walls <laughs> and then mopping and everything? You just needed some like fucking cheesy, shitty music playing in there just to turn it into like a fucking Saturday morning show. Yeah, and they're, they're like painting that stuff, and he's like, "Don't, don't smell it. You'll get high." And he's like, "Ooh, that'd be good." And so, yeah, it's a bit cheesy, isn't it? Yeah, and this is also. I don't know if you picked up on this, but Ripley starts becoming like really sarcastic around this time, doesn't she? Because she's like asking about like the technology, and Aaron's like, "Oh, we've got nothing. It doesn't work here." And she's like, "Matches? Do we have the capacity to make fire?" Most humans enjoyed that privilege since the Stone Age, and it's just like really sucking snarky comments. Yeah, she does, and also I think it's around this time where she starts looking a bit like ill. When you start thinking maybe something's wrong with her, she starts like coughing and that, doesn't she? And you think, okay, there's sort of alluding to the fact that something's not quite right with her. Yeah, and I think there's even shots like Dylan's noticing as well, isn't he? Because after yeah. Clemens died, she's kind of close to him because he keeps the prisoners in check and he sort of keeps looking over and I think he even mentioned something to her at one point but yeah he's obviously starting to notice just not really kind of voice it as much yeah yeah he does notice and um, yeah you start thinking okay there's something not quite white uh, white? right <laughs> with uh, Ripley here <laughs> so Aaron and Ripley are messaging the company requesting permission to kill the creature Aaron says that the responses take ages but straight away a reply comes back saying permission denied in the infirmary, Golic is tied up and being watched by Morse. Golic convinces Morse to untie him as they are friends. After doing so, he knocks Morse out. Golic heads to the tunnel and kills the guard and opens the door, letting the alien out. Ripley is with Dylan, asking him for, asking him for help killing the alien. He says he doesn't give a shit whether the company take it back to Earth and everyone dies. He isn't interested in the wider world anymore. Morse comes in and says they have a teeny-weeny problem. Dylan, Aaron, Ripley and Morse are stood by the open door and realising their victory has been short-lived. Arguments break out and Ripley starts to get woozy and she walks off. See, again, this kind of bit here is um, another one of those ones that you wouldn't see normally, isn't it? Because the alien doesn't get away. It just cuts to like that fire sequence of the explosions. Then them stood at the empty door yeah. as if they haven't caught it and start arguing. You don't get all that kind of stuff in the middle. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense when you see this, the fact they had it trapped and then... I mean, uh, Morse, isn't it? Is it Morse? No, not Morse. Golic. Um, so he's obsessed with the, the dragon, is he? That's why he, he knocks the guy out and goes looking for it. I was always a bit confused as to why he just fucking, you know, goes off looking for it. Is he completely obsessed with it? Is he like... I guess so. He's mental. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He just seems to have some kind of like, I don't know, some... I don't know, heightened fascination of it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we know he is obviously a fucking lunatic. That got me thinking, actually. You might um, be able to answer this because you watched it recently, but I can't remember what like happens. Because in the sequence, we see the big guy, he runs off into the thing, the alien chases him and obviously eats him, but they manage to trap it. And then Golic opens the door, he slits the big um, guy's throat, and then he himself dies. So there's three people dead. Do we ever see what happened to them in the theatrical cut? So I can't remember what happens to Golic, other than obviously he gets taken to the infirmary can't remember if we ever see him again after that. Um, do you know what? I watched it earlier, but like I say, it was kind of on in the background. I sort of was just looking for differences. But no, I didn't notice Godic again. I'm not, not really sure. Um, but bad uh, observation there. I don't, I don't really know. It's just, I just picked up yesterday watching the um, the assembly cut. It's like, why does he go looking for this thing again? It just seems, a bit, obviously, he's not right in the head, but... Fucking hell, you wouldn't be right near to go and looking for it, would you, after what you've seen it's done? 
Well, yeah, you wouldn't be right in the head after seeing it in the first place. I'd probably be shitting your pants <laughs> and having nightmares the rest of your life. But yeah, you certainly yeah, wouldn't go looking I w- for it. I wouldn't. No, exactly. I wouldn't go looking for it again. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is weird. But there you go. And also, one thing here, again, it's um, a, re- a remastered scene, if you will. Um, but the bit where Dylan, because he kind of changes his mood really quickly, and I picked up on this in the assembly cut, and where it's been put together, there's got some inconsistency. So in this scene where Ripley's like telling him, you know, the company are going to take the alien back to Earth. It could obviously do real damage. And he's like, I don't give a shit. I don't, you know, look after my own and all that sort of stuff. And then he's like, I don't give a fuck if the world dies. I just want to stay here. This is my place. And it's like, I was thinking, well, if you, if everyone dies on Earth, you're not going to get any more supply ships, mate. You're not going to get anything. You're pretty much going to be fucked <laughs> in this place. Because although you're on a planet or a small moon, wherever it's supposed to be, this seems to be like the only complex on there. It doesn't look like it has any like vegetation or anything to grow food. So you're fucked. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right, because there is nothing else on that planet, is there? Literally just that prison, and the rest of it looks like nothing. So, yeah, good shout. (laughs) So, Aaron finds Ripley in the EEV. She asks for his help doing a scan and discovers she has an alien inside her. Dylan is trying to motivate the survivors in the assembly hall by saying they should go down swinging if needs be. They might not be able to kill the creature, but they might at least hurt it and give the others a chance. They decide to head to the furnace as an alien is scared of fire. Aaron and Ripley are messaging the company. Ripley tells Aaron to say the whole facility has gone toxic, which will cause the rescue ship to turn back. He refuses, saying he has a wife and a kid and goes home soon. Ripley is angry and heads to find the alien. She encounters it in the basement area, but once again, it does not attack her. She finds Dylan and tells him that she has a queen inside her that can make thousands more like the one they've got here, and he needs to kill her. Dylan refuses but says if it won't kill her, that gives him the advantage as she can help him and his men kill the alien, and then he'll kill her afterwards. Everyone meets in the furnace, and Dylan states they need to kill the alien. Aaron protests, saying they should wait for the company to arrive and deal with it. Ripley says they won't and tells him how the company sacrificed her crew and the marines in the hunt for this thing and won't give a shit about a bunch of convicts. They agree to try and lure the alien into the lead works and drown it in hot lead. And right away here, like, again especially in the assembly cut a couple of scenes ago um dylan was saying i don't give a shit i don't want to do anything and in this scene he's like fucking yeah yeah we got to kill it now we're gonna we got to stop this thing and it's like that's a pretty quick turnaround of events isn't it yeah he does completely change his tune doesn't he it is a bit strange and um it's weird as well when um when they're doing the scan and everything an 85 sort of turns up and helps her at first, he doesn't know what he's doing with that scanner. He's like, uh, what do I do? She's like, press B or C. And he, oh, I think it's C. And he presses the button. And then she's like, press enhance. And he presses it. And then suddenly he knows how to use it. He's all over the place, just pressing buttons and making it work. So like, well, you picked that up pretty quick. Yeah, right. I mean, fucking hell. I mean, she's probably glad he did. If Johnny Lawrence was there, she'd have no fucking hope, would she? So... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I'd be cooking Ash Browns or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely and one thing that pisses me off about this um obviously we find out aliens uh aliens ripley's got an alien inside her how does she know it's a queen oh yeah i'm glad you picked up on that because i thought exactly the same thing i mean you see it on the scanner and yeah it looks like an alien inside her but yeah how does she know it's a queen yeah i thought exactly the same thing and i thought maybe i was missing something i was being a bit silly so i'm glad you said that yeah it is just a really weird thing it's like and again, just because the alien isn't killing her doesn't mean that's because there's a queen inside her. It might just mean that it senses that obviously another one of its kind and they don't generally 
kind of turn on each other, really. And this is another thing that annoys me. How long is the gestation period? Because normally, like, Kane had the face hugger on him, and I'd literally been a couple of hours, probably, the alien was bursting out of him. That ox they found pretty much gave birth straight away. So why is this alien taking so long to cook inside Ripley? Yeah, it's another point I brought up on something I've got in my notes. It does seem to take forever. I mean, we don't know how long the, the sort of the scenes are drawn out, but yeah, it does seem to take ages to come out of her. It's a bit strange, but obviously for movie time, it had to happen. Um, and also, you know, when um, Dylan, she, she asked Dylan to kill her, and he's, he just seems to have an axe suddenly in his hand. I don't know, <laughs> did he have it in his hand before? It just seems to appear in his hand. I don't remember him having it or picking it up, he just suddenly swings an axe, and obviously he misses her. But um, yeah, I, I was like, I don't ever remember him seeing seeing him pick it up or anything. Well, that's I could have missed that though. That could just be me. That's another thing as well. Again, the assembly cut kind of doesn't do this sequence any favors, really, as much as we like it. So he's in that weird. I assume it's like his chambers or his bedroom. That what's got like the grating on it, hasn't it? Where she's first speaking to him, and he's like, yeah. "I don't give a shit. I'm, you know, not going to help." Then in the next scene or like a scene later, he's talking to the crew and they're like, oh yeah, let's all run to the furnace, you know, and we'll hide there. And then she finds him and he's back in his fucking chambers. So they've all just run to the furnace. <laughs> they obviously put the fire on because it will keep the alien at bay. Why is he now back in his fucking room? Is he having like a cheeky wank or something? Doesn't want anyone to fucking see him <laughs> or something. Well, maybe he is, I don't know. But yeah, I just, I didn't, didn't ever see him pick up that axe and it could have just been me missing it. But yeah, suddenly he just swings an axe at her, obviously purposely misses her i'm like when did you actually get that axe didn't see you pick it up yeah yeah it's weird now one thing here that you might find interesting as well some of our listeners who might not know there there was supposed to be a scene around this part of the movie and the characters involved varied between several scripts but it was called the meat locker scene so basically that assembly hall you know where they're all gathered at the start where they usually have their meetings before they move to the furnace and such that yeah. would have become the alien hive and they'd have discovered it um, and they'd have found people hung up there. But the more interesting thing is that blue laser from the who that they used in um, the first alien, the cover <laughs> the eggs that was going to be there indicating that the alien that is obviously maybe it's not a laser, but it's something alien related that the alien has the ability to build. And it's like a tripwire and it alerts the alien to when people come in. And I think one of the scenes it was Dylan, Aaron, maybe Ripley, and they go in. They manage to rescue someone off the wall, but because they go through that sensor, it alerts the alien, and it comes charging towards them. And I think Dylan dies in this sequence. But I thought that was quite an interesting thing they could have. It's a shame they didn't put that scene in there because I thought that would have been pretty good. Yeah, that's um, that is quite interesting. And this is the only film where the alien doesn't have a hive, does it? Doesn't really sort of nest or anything. It just sort of does its shit, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Every time we see it, it's been we're jumping out on someone or it's in the next sequence, it's fucking chasing them. But yeah, it doesn't ever seem to, like I say, nest. And that seems to be such a big, heavy part of the alien kind of lore and design that they are a nesting creature. So it is a shame we didn't actually get to see that. Yeah, it's weird as well. When Ripley goes looking for it, um, and she comes up with that cheesy line, doesn't she? Don't be afraid. I'm part of the family. Oh, yeah. I always thought that was a bit cheesy. And then you see the alien, it's sort of in front of her and you see it quite clearly. And then she goes to stab it or whatever with that thing and she it's a pipe that she stabs and it's behind her. So was that alien never actually there in the first place? Was it part of her imagination? Because you see it very clearly. Yeah, I always thought that. I always thought they 
they tried to do what they did in the original movie because there's loads of times where the alien just blends into pipes. But like you say, in this one, to my eyes, that is clearly the alien there. And then like obviously yeah, she stabbed it, it and then it turns out to be a pipe. So I don't know if it's just something they tried to do the trick the audience, whether it's supposed to be her. She's so obsessed with killing this thing and just driven by exhaustion yeah. and whatever that she just sees it everywhere. Like it's her going a bit wonky. Yeah, because you quite, having watched the assembly cut and the theatrical cut, you clearly see it in both, that that is the alien. But then when she stabs it, it's a pipe and it's behind her. So, yeah, it could be a trick of the mind, I guess. I'll tell you what, though, again, back to the practical effects, because it was half um, animatronic and half a bloke in a suit. But that bit after she stabs the pipe and the alien kind of awakens above her and drops down, that looks fucking awesome as well. I do like the design of the alien in this one. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, all the practical effects are awesome. Yeah, definitely. So we're kind of getting towards the end of the movie now, and this whole next scene is basically a long... It's not even a fight sequence, but it's kind of like the end battle sequence, really. Um, And it's pretty much a long suicide run where the survivors roam tunnels looking for the alien, and then they try getting it to chase them, which is not a fucking good idea. (laughs) So they seal the tunnels one by one and flush it into the main chamber. There are some close calls and most of the prisoners die. The piston that they want to use to drive the alien into the leadworks gets set off too early. Ripley attempts to lure the alien back into the piston chamber, but it won't follow her until Dylan grabs her. Seeing that Ripley might be in danger, the alien begins to follow. They um, They lure it in and Moore seals the final door and heads for the lead dispenser. Dylan tells Ripley to climb the safety and he will hold the alien in the lead pit. The alien charges him and he dies valiantly. Morse moves to the, the dispenser over the pit and drops the hot lead on the alien. As the liquid settles, the alien jumps out covered in lead and begins chasing Ripley. Morse tells her to turn on the sprinklers. She does so, and the cold water hits the alien, causing a reaction that makes it explode. Now that sort of description doesn't really do this sequence any real justice because it's quite well shot, I think. There's some shit CGI in here with the alien, but there's some really... It's really tense the way you get the point of view of the alien's vision. That's the first time we actually see what the alien might actually see. But those chase sequences, I think, are really good. Yeah, I've got a love-hate relationship with this whole sequence because it looks shit with the CGI, but there's some brutal deaths and some really good scenes as well. It's just a shame that that CGI is so bad. And the more I watch it, the worse it looks. It is fucking awful. Yeah, there's one bit in particular, and you'll probably know what I'm on about. There's a prisoner, I think his name's Kevin, and he's walking along, and he looks up, and the alien's on the ceiling, and he throws out the fucking sparkler at it, and it looks shit. I mean, it looks beyond dog shit. It's yeah. such crap CGI, and like you say, the close-up scenes and some of the brutal deaths are gnarly as hell, but yeah, the CGI does let this down massively. It's a shame, isn't it? Because it kind of takes away from the terror of the alien, just looking at it, it just almost laughs. It looks so fucking dog shit but there's um there's one bit i think it's a shout out to the original film one of the prisoners is like doing a here kitty 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 when he's trying to lure the alien yeah. and i thought that's a shout out to obviously brett in the first film isn't it must be yeah that's that's a good little nod then this guy is either like like you say it's in there for a nod but this guy obviously doesn't know what he's going up against does he he was looking for something tiny and his fucking gigantic thing pops out there's, there's a couple one... of sorry carry on no, I was going to say, there's a couple of proper brutal deaths. There's the one where the guy gets pasted through the, the window, the little window in the door where the alien jaw goes through it and straight into his head. And there's the other one where the guy at the end's running and he just gets diced. And I'm assuming that 
the alien's tail must just fucking slice him up. And Dillard's asking, he's literally egging him on, and he run, run, and he just gets fucking obliterated. Yeah, I was going to mention that one about the door. That's Peter Pothelquate's uh, death, isn't it? But yeah, the way the jaw, and, like, you see, like, it's not just like they just splash of blood. There's like fucking bone and brain and yeah. fucking flesh. It's like proper gnarly. And yeah, that dude who gets diced by the door, like, his leg kind of comes through <laughs> with like a fucking 10 pints of blood or whatever, and he gets dragged back in. But that bit where like a couple of them have died. I think Morse turns up and he's like, shit, what am I doing here? And he runs off the other way. And Dylan's like, man, all they got to do is run down a damn corridor. It's like, you try fucking running down a corridor, <laughs> an alien after you. Yeah. There's a couple of other bits, actually. There's um, there's one death. and I don't even think it's a death, but there's one bit where the alien, um, its jaw goes into the, the glass in one of the doors and there's red blood again, as we discussed in Aliens last week. And I'm not sure where that red blood came from because there's no prisoner around. So maybe the alien had blood on its jaw or something from a, a previous death. I don't know. That was just a bit weird. I know it's again, obviously we talked about when Ripley's in that fucking whatever it is and the red blood comes down from the alien. That was one thing I picked up on again. So that could have already been on the alien from someone else he'd killed. And then um, I'm trying to work out what else I've got here in my notes. I might have to come back to that because I'm, I'm now I'm so professional, aren't we? Something else I was going to talk about. Oh, yeah. The bit where the two prisoners bump into each other and um, they're both running through the tunnels. They bump into each other and then they're laughing. They're like joke, laughing and joking. I'd be like, I wouldn't be fucking laughing and joking. Then one of them actually croaks it because they're too busy laughing at each other. I'm like, I'd be still getting the fuck out of there. You know, this isn't a joking situation, is it? Yeah, because that's Morse and the other one. And it's like, they start like, because even that's when he does like really British, like, ah, you're wanker and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Again, the alien comes up and kills the other one. Amanda starts eating him. And to be honest, it looks like he's fucking shagging him with some of the animation that's going on. But Morse just kind of crawls away from it. And the alien ignores him. But normally an alien would fucking, you would have the lot of you, wouldn't it? Just fucking take you all down. Where this one's like, nope, got a sandwich. I'm going to eat this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, he's, um, maybe he's on a diet, this one. You know, he's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's quite, he's quite agile and lean. So maybe, you know, he's watching what he eats. Yeah, <laughs> that whole bit with the um the piston is done pretty well though, and it's quite tense because when the aliens like munching that guy and Ripley's like walking up to it, and she's like trying to grab its tail or something, isn't it? She's, like, and it keeps like kind of shoving her away. But I'm not sure how. I don't know. It just I'm not sure. I like the way like when Dylan grabs her, it kind of reacts and then it starts following them. I just I don't know. I just I prefer the alien to be a bit more kind of. I know as movies go on, you kind of learn more and obviously it's got to be fleshed out, but I kind of like the alien just to be this kind of brutal killing machine. Like, it is brutal in this, and it's fucking doesn't waste time dispatching people, but just the way it suddenly starts following them, I just, I don't know if I like that or not. Yeah, I know what you mean. Although, I, I like the way Dylan goes out. He goes out with a bang, doesn't he? A bit of a hero, and, um, you know, he gives a good fight against the alien. He, he stands up to it for as long as he can. He takes ages to die, because when Ripley's, like, climbing out of that kind of lead pit and Morse is bringing the dispenser along. He, you can hear him down there being eaten, but he's like, come on, is that old garden? <laughs> he's kind of doing a bit of a, a Hudson, isn't he? He's just fucking mouthing yeah. off the alien, basically. Yeah, he is. But um, one thing I will say, at least the alien doesn't get blown out of an airlock in this one. It, it dies a different death. And it's, it's actually quite good. I, I quite like the way it dies. It's a bit different and um, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And another thing with the death as well, it, it, it's just a trend with this movie. About 80% of this looks good, but there's that one shot of the CGI when the alien kind of jumps out and it's 
obviously boiling hot with lead. Then they pour the sprinklers on it, and then you see that CGI shot of it kind of like like this ripple effect coming across his head before it explodes. But before that, you got the CGI. Oh, sorry, the practical effects, but that CGI shot just stands out like a sore dick. Yeah, it does. But um, it's quite a quick bit of CGI, so it's not as bad as some of the tunnel scenes. Um, so I think they get away with that to a certain extent. One thing I will say is when the um, Wayland Utani guys are coming in, obviously, to talk Ripley out, which we're probably going to talk about in a minute, the, the finale as such, there's that fucking one guy. Wearing like um I don't know like a packamac or something and like a fucking <laughs> I don't know he looks like he's going to like a nineteen eighties rave or something he's going to take like six fucking ecstasy tabs and just like dance the night away what the fuck is he supposed to be? <laughs> well, but this was like, the early nineties and it was shot in England as well. Maybe they just grabbed him <laughs> off the street. <laughs> well, they might have done. I, I'm watching it again and I'm like, what the fuck are you supposed to be? There's obviously the the bishop character and then um the guys in the proper suits and that and then. There's a couple of proper armoured guys, isn't there? And there's this one guy wearing this... I don't know what it... I don't know how to describe it, really. Probably how I just, just did describe it. It's like, what the fuck is he supposed to be? <laughs> That's a good shout. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange sense of attire. <laughs> yeah. One thing, just before we do kind of look at the finale, as it were, do you think it's weird? Like, I don't know what the alien was doing, whether it's just really pissed off. Um, when it jumps out of the lead, it then just really starts making a beeline for Ripley, like properly chasing her down like it's going to kill her. But up until then, obviously, it's made a point of trying to avoid her or not confront her. But at this point, it's actually properly chasing her down. So I wonder if it was actually that was just done to make the sequence a bit quicker or whether they intended the alien to actually, you know, maybe go a bit wonky and end up killing her. That's a good shout. I didn't think of that. Yeah, like you say, it's um, it's confronted her a couple of times and obviously just walked away. So, yeah, maybe it did. Maybe it was just, obviously, it just been covered in lead, so it probably wasn't thinking particularly straight. We don't know how straight <laughs> aliens think. But, yeah, good shout there. So, Morse and Ripley have no time to celebrate their victory as a rescue team arrive led by Aaron. A, fam- a familiar face steps forward. It's Bishop. Bishop claims to be human and the man who designed the android. He implores Ripley to come with them. They have a procedure to remove and destroy the alien. Ripley is tempted, but she sees through the lies. She steps onto the lead dispenser and shuts the gate. Morphs moves it out over the furnace, but one of the rescue teams shoots at him. Realising the deception, Aaron sw- swings a wrench at Bishop and gets shot for his efforts. Bishop has blood pouring from his head and pleads with Ripley that he is not a droid and must be allowed to have the specimen. Ripley jumps off the dispenser and falls to her death. We see the facility being shut down, the sole survivor, Morse, being taken with the rescue team. We get a shot of the EEV, which is playing Ripley's Nostromo message, and the screen fades to black. So what's your thoughts on how they kind of, at the time of this being a trilogy, before it was a saga, what was your kind of take on this wrap-up section? I actually think, apart from the fact when Ripley um, falls to her death, which looks fucking dreadful, (laughs) um, I think it was a fitting end, and it probably could have been the end. I mean, we'll talk about shock horror, what happens afterwards next week. Um, yeah, and in the um, assembly cut, you don't see the chestburster come out, do you? But in the le- in the theatrical cut, you do. You see it come out of Ripley as she uh, fall into her death, which I, I yeah. think you saw it in both versions. But watching the assembly cut yesterday, I, I was like, oh, well, you don't see the chestburster come out. Yeah, no, I, I remembered that because I actually, yeah, you're right. When Ripley falls into the um, the furnace, especially in the assembly cut, it looks fucking terrible. 
but it actually I, does look better in the theatrical the way yeah, she, she falls does. down and then you see like the chest burster comes out because that's pretty brutal and she kind of grabs hold of it doesn't she and they fall yeah. in but it looks better that's one of the better things about the theatrical probably one of the only few yeah, I was surprised yesterday watching the Assembly Cup for the first time in a few years that you didn't see that. I, I thought it was in both versions, but it's not. And um, it makes more sense in the theatrical cut you see that. And it looks better as well, like you say. I believe one of the conditions um, Sigourney Weaver had when she came back is she actually wanted Ripley to die. Um, so that was always going to be in there. And I think there were several ways in which she was going to die. But yeah, it is strange. I think after everything her character's been through, there wasn't going to be a happy ending, was it? She's lost two lives basically she lost her life that she had before alien and then obviously her new family new and hicks they're both dead and she knows her times she's not going to give everything up just to let the company have the alien she's fought too hard hasn't she like her whole last moments have become about just stopping the alien it's like her obsession it's the only thing keeping her going i think yeah and like i said i think that was a fitting end and they probably shouldn't have made the, the next film which we may go on to talk about next week um yeah, I, I think um, overall this is not a terrible film. I mean, it only got 44% on Rotten Tomatoes and an average of 5.3, which I think is a bit harsh. Um, the theatrical yeah. cut was absolutely fucking panned. And like we said earlier, the assembly cut was better received. But it's not as bad as everyone says it is. I mean, it, the CGI is the one thing that lets it down. I think the plot and the actual storyline are quite quite solid. Yeah, no, this I can't recommend it enough. As anyone listening to this who hasn't seen the assembly cut, do do yourselves a favor and watch it. It makes the movie so much better. Yeah, it's still, as JT says, CGI is bollocks, and it does pale a little bit in comparison to one and two. But I kind of like how kind of dark and depressing the whole atmosphere of this movie is because it kind of just goes with like Ripley's situation. Like she's just no matter what, every time she wakes up, she's in the fucking worst situation, isn't she? She defeats an alien. She wakes up, she fights, you know, more aliens. She goes to sleep, wakes up, and everyone's dead again, and she has another fucking alien to deal with. Yeah. And one thing following on from what you said last week about uh, Scorny Weaver not liking guns and everything, being anti-gun, she doesn't handle a gun once in this film. Um, apparently, she thought she'd had enough with guns in Aliens, so she purposely doesn't handle... Obviously, there isn't any weapons on this planet, but she doesn't actually handle a weapon in the film at all. No, she never even has, like, a... I think she has like a flare in her hand at one point, but yeah, she doesn't even have like an axe or a knife or anything. And no. just a little touch on like some of the ending bits as well. Like Aaron, like we say, he's a bit like Gorman, but he kind of goes out like Gorman, doesn't he? he? Has that one moment at the end where he kind of does something kind of useful and obviously dies for his efforts. Like where Gorman went to save Vasquez and they blew up. Like Aaron properly like clouts Bishop, doesn't he? Like he takes his fucking head off with that wrench. Yeah, he does. And um, I mean, he's. He's not a bad guy, is he? He's just a bit ill-informed, isn't he? I mean, he believes that he's going to be saved and stuff. He's not like Burke and obviously Ash in the first film, where he's completely just saving the alien for the company. He's just a bit of an idiot, isn't he? He is, yeah, and he's just a company man, isn't it? And even like yeah. when he said, like, he just he's got a wife, he's got a kid, he wants to go home, he doesn't want to fight the alien. I mean, I can't blame him for not wanting to fucking face the alien. <laughs> I'd be in that, I'd be in his court for that one. But yeah, he is. He's not like a villain as such. He is just a bit of a wet blanket. And even the um convicts say that, don't they? It's like you're not one of us. You're not a believer. You're a fucking company man and all that stuff. Yeah, but he's not. He's not a bad person. He's just naive. And um, it's weird, isn't it, that Morse is the only one who survives in the end. 
Yeah, because there's actually a bit of dialogue, isn't it? Before they actually go into the end sequence and they're making the plan, Morse is kind of siding with um, Aaron, I say, and we need the company to have some guns on our side. And then Dylan says to Morse, oh, you're the guy who's made a deal with God to live forever or something. Yeah, he ends up being the sole survivor, doesn't he? So again, there's that religious kind of aspect. Yeah, I think that's quite good. I mean, you wouldn't have thought it from the start that he'd be the sole survivor, would you? No, because he's just a bit of a mouthy prick all the way through, isn't he? He doesn't really do anything useful until right at the end. <laughs> and I've yeah, got exactly. to mention, like we always talk again about this kind of retro future, when Bishop and his cronies come in, there's a guy there with a fucking video camera, but it's one of those proper old school, like it's the size <laughs> of like an old CRT TV on his shoulder. It's massive. And like, that's obviously his camcorder for the future. And it's like mobile phones take 4K videos these days. It's, he's still got like this fucking 1980s newsreel camera on his shoulder. It's, it's fucking stupid. Yeah. And they tell him to put it away as well. It's like, I don't really know what he was trying to achieve by filming. I guess it was for Wailing Yutani or whatever, but they, they end up sort of batting him to take it away, don't they? Yeah, because Lance Henriksen wasn't actually, he hated the script and thought it didn't do justice to the previous movies or his character. What did you think about that kind of return, that kind of, because you're kind of guessing at first, aren't you? It's like, is he an android, but is he now more like Ash? Or is he actually really human? Obviously, we do find out he is human because his fucking, his ears hanging off by the time Aaron's fucking finished <laughs> with him. But what did you think of that whole kind of like cameo as such? Yeah, it doesn't bother me too much. I mean, he's only got a little bit at the end. It kind of makes sense. I don't think, you know, it was too bad. Could it could have not been in it, could have been in it. Obviously, he was. So, yeah, it doesn't bother me too much. But, um, yeah, I can see why he probably didn't want to be in it to a certain extent. He's actually done all right for himself out of the franchise because, obviously, he debuted in Aliens returned in Alien 3, but he's also gone on over the years. He's appeared in a couple of video games reprising his role. As I mentioned, he did the audio drama of the original Alien 3 script, but he's also, I don't hate, you know, it's a bit like Voldemort, I don't want to say the name of these movies, but he's actually an AVP as well, isn't he? He's Mr. He's Mr. Wayland in those, so he's actually done all right as a kind of a reoccurring face for this kind of franchise. Yeah, yes, he is kind of, other than Scorny Weaver, he's kind of the face of the franchise, isn't he? Yeah, it's just that kind of like link that keeps them together. And before we do wrap up, um, at least on my end anyway, I understand why they did it and I think it's good. But where would it have come from when at the end of the movie, Ripley's Nostromo message from the end of the first movie is playing in the EEV? That wouldn't have even been in there. And although it's nice touch because it kind of brings it full circle because at this stage it was a trilogy, it made no sense for that message to be playing. Yeah, I, I did wonder that myself, and I'd forgotten that was in it until I rewatched it. Yeah, it, it, yeah, like you say, where would it have come from? Because that was a long time ago, what, 57 years before Alien, so God knows how long it was before this one. Um, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, it does bring it full circle, you're right. But looking at it in a logical sense, it doesn't particularly stand up. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit strange. But, um, but overall, like from my own thoughts... Yeah, this movie, I don't think it deserves the rep it's got. Maybe, yeah, from the theatrical version, it was shit. And I know there's a lot of issues when it was first being made. But this version of it is really, really worth watching. And I would recommend, like I say, said it two or three times now, I would recommend checking out this version of this movie because it is that much better. I mean, just for a time difference, it is quite long. It's 145 minutes versus the theatrical, which is 114 minutes. Um. But yeah, it's, it was actually also 
believe it or not, even though people hate it, it's the highest grossing of all the Alien movies. It had a budget of 50 million and it made a worldwide gross of 160. I mean, that's probably coming off the success of the first two, granted, but you know, <laughs> it's actually the most successful one. Yeah, I saw that as well. Um, apparently, it didn't do very well in the States. It was Japan and Europe that propped it up, like ratings and, and money-wise. Um, but yeah, as I've discussed in all our podcasts before, I don't particularly like long films. And I watched this yesterday, and I thoroughly enjoyed it watching it again. And definitely would recommend, if people haven't seen the, the assembly cut, get on it, because it is decent. Absolutely. So once again, to all our listeners, we really do appreciate it when you tune in, and we hope we've done a bit of justice to this movie and encourage you to give it, maybe think about it again if you're not an initial fan or at least try the assembly cut and join us next week because I've got to be honest, I don't like the movie we're going to be discussing. I haven't seen it for a long time. So I am in a way, in a weird way, actually looking forward to seeing it again and actually looking forward to our discussion and seeing what you have to say about it next week, JT. I'm absolutely the same. I've probably only seen this film two or three times since it got released um and i haven't enjoyed it but it will be fun watching it again and sort of looking at it from a different perspective and maybe maybe it might be better this time around i doubt it but we'll see (laughs) so as always if you want to reach out to us uh drop us a message on twitter at hyperbaric the or just search hyperbaric goats and you'll find us and from bread roll this is me signing off and for myself i've just got one last thing to say You've been in my life so long, I can't remember anything else.